This morning's scripture lesson is from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. This is the ritual of the sacrifice of the offering of well-being that one may offer to the Lord. If you offer it for thanksgiving, you shall offer with the thanks offering unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers spread with oil, and cakes of choice flour well soaked in oil. With your thanksgiving sacrifice of well-being, you shall bring your offering with cakes of leavened bread. From this you shall offer one cake from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who dashes the blood of the offering of well-being. And the flesh of your thanksgiving sacrifice of well-being shall be eaten on the day it is offered. You shall not leave any of it until the morning. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. be seated. Good morning, friends. So I come from a rather large family. I am one of four siblings. My dad is one of five, so I think there are 15 first cousins on his side, of which I'm one, and my kids' generation, they have 11 first cousins. And and I was telling someone earlier, my parents, what they did is they kind of gutted the bedrooms in the back of their house and just stacked bunk beds. <laughs> so when we go to the lake, like we will this week, everyone just kind of crams in a bunk bed, which is not private or romantic or anything like that. You'll probably end up in a room with at least one kid that can't sleep all the way through the night, but it is a, such a good time. I absolutely love Thanksgiving. I've always been a big family kind of guy. I love for all of us to get together, and, uh, and uh, I hope that you guys have a similar experience this week. In fact, this week, we're going to go north to Huntsville and do Thanksgiving with Leanne's family first, and then we're going to turn around and go south to Dadeville and do Thanksgiving with my family next, and at some point, we might sleep this week. <laughs> I know what you were thinking today with Thanksgiving on the horizon. I hope the pastor reads from the book of Leviticus. And friends, not wanting to disappoint, that is exactly where I went. I will say, as I've already alluded to with Kinsley, that Leviticus, Leviticus excuse me, gets a bad rap, right? Leviticus is where Bible reading plans come to die. Oh. Leviticus is, you all know exactly what I'm talking about because you've made that New Year's resolution before to read scripture, and it's pretty exciting until you get to the middle of Exodus, and then it gets stalled out. And if you make it through the end of Exodus, then you hit Leviticus, and that is almost where everyone stops their reading plan. Incidentally, I have a side calling, and that is to help people get all the way through Scripture, and if you want to talk to me about that later, be happy to. But I think Leviticus gets a bad rap, and here's why. Leviticus is a story that falls on the heels of another story, and that is of a whole nation that had spent 400 and something years in slavery. And 
they were released from slavery, and it's a great story, and we're not going to tell the whole Exodus story right now, but it comes with a lot of great plagues and wars and all kinds of things like that. You know, everything that makes for a great Charlton Heston movie is in that book. And then suddenly, the Israelites, for the first time in anyone's life or recent memory, find themselves a free nation. And that's a complicated thing. If you have spent your whole life in a system where you were owned by someone else, and your time and your labor and your body existed for someone else's wealth accumulation, and apparently all of the gods in that nation think that that's an okay way to order the world, and then suddenly you cry out and your God says, no, turns out that's not a good way for us to order the world, and we're going to learn a new way to do that. Well, you have to have some rules and boundaries in order to learn how that works. Anyone who's ever been in some kind of addiction recovery 12-step program, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't come out of slavery or prison to something like that and, and have no rules. If you go into a rehab center, you're going to go in and they're not going to say, hey, look, just go to bed when you want to, get up when you want to. There's just kind of a buffet, eat whenever you want to. It's not a cruise ship. <laughs> it's, it's structured. This is when we have lights out. This is when we get up in the morning. This is when we have quiet time and meditate. This is when we eat. This is when we have group meetings. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So imagine for just a minute now, a whole nation of people with a mindset of being slaves who now are pushed into the wilderness and have to learn how to live together. And so the first five books of Leviticus offer five different offerings, and the first three are not mandatory. They're just for when you feel so thankful, so overwhelmed with joy, so overwhelmed with gratitude that you want to express that in some way. So the first three offerings, we're just going to run through them really quickly, are, oh goodness, I hope I remember right, the burnt offering is the first one, and then the grain offering, and then the peace offering, which is what we're really going to dive into today. So the burnt offering, you would bring an animal, a, a cow or a goat or a dove. Incidentally, it does lay out those three different things. So if you can afford a cow, great, bring a cow. If you can't, bring a goat. If you can't afford that, bring a dove. The idea is that everyone can bring something to God. And if you can't afford any of those things or if you don't have those things, then bring a grain offering, which is in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 and we read it out of chapter 7 today because chapter 6 and 7 go back and kind of recap a much longer explanation in chapter 3 of the peace offering, the, the fellowship offering as it is called. It's, the Hebrew word is shalamim, and the first part of that word is shalom, right? So it's this idea of peace, of fellowship, of joy, of gratitude. And so it's that offering that you bring to God because you're just so thankful does it make sense that a group of people who had just spent 400 years in slavery and have recently been freed might want to know how to express that gratitude? The next two offerings are the guilt offering and the sin offering. And therefore, when you recognize you've done something wrong to someone, and it spells out all the different ways that that might have happened, 
It might have happened on a one-on-one basis. It might have happened that the whole community did something to another group of people, and they were not aware of it at the time, but later they learned a little bit more and realized that the way that they had been behaving toward a whole group of people was wrong. Please tell me someone in here can imagine a situation like that in our world today. And so can you imagine a situation where people who had spent 400 years in slavery and suddenly were free might find themselves at odds with one another on purpose or on accident and need a way to make things right with each other and to make things right with God? So I believe the book of Leviticus is absolutely beautiful and I believe it's absolutely relevant to us today because I think a lot of the problems that we have today mirror some of the problems that the Israelites experienced in the desert. But let's take a closer look at the Thanksgiving offering because here's what I think. I think the first three offerings of, of peace and goodwill and fellowship and thanksgiving and gratitude and joy are every bit as worshipful as the two that we might normally consider worship, and that is repentance for sin and guilt and things such as that. And I say that because this week, I hope you get an opportunity to not get any sleep because there's some three-year-old kid that cannot sleep through the night in your room or coming beside your bed, and anyone who's ever been a parent knows that moment when you're asleep, right? But you have this, this sixth sense that there's something or someone in your room, and you wake up to a three-year-old right in your face, just like breathing hard, and, and it scares you. Anyone? Come on. Scares you to death? Yeah. I hope you get that experience this week, either as a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle or something like that. Because I believe that Thanksgiving is worship, if we can look at it in that way. So, just a few things. As you read through this, and I'm going to be looking in verses 12 through 15 specifically, you see the, the recipe, if you will, the instructions on how to offer a Thanksgiving offering to God. And the first, it says, is that it should be Unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers spread with oil, and cakes of choice flour. Other versions will say finest flour. Also, well soaked in oil. Well, let's just pause there for just a minute. A few things about that. First of all, this is an offering that is to be eaten, right? It is an an offering that is to be eaten, Other offerings, like the burnt offering, you put on the altar and you burn it until it's gone. And the aroma is a pleasing offering unto the Lord, right? You all know that one. What I didn't realize is that a lot of the offerings were intended for you to go with your family, present an offering, and then share it. This is more like a barbecue than what you might have thought Leviticus is mostly about. And then, it's of the finest flour. So, you and I, we go down to Publix and we buy a bag of flour and it's already the finest flour, right? You don't have options on the Publix shelf. Really, your options are gonna be rising, I mean, self-rising or all-purpose. But if you're starting from, you know, little brown kernels of grain, you know, the, 
in order to get fine flour, you have to mill it longer. So it, it is labor intensive. It is time intensive. And then to soak everything with oil, these are things that cost money. And so the idea here is that when you are presenting a Thanksgiving offering to God with your family, you don't skimp. You guys know this. Y'all are already probably right now in a text thread with your family talking about who's bringing what to Thanksgiving dinner, right? Somebody's going to bring their famous mashed potatoes. Somebody's going to bring the green bean casserole. The people who are traveling the farthest are going to, you know, bring things that they don't have to cook, like the cheese for the cheese board or whatever. Or if you're my wife, God bless my wife's heart. She's not a great cook. She's bringing the canned cranberries, and that's going to be her contribution, and it's an important contribution because everyone loves the, can, the cheap kind. The can, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> It's the finest flour, though, soaked in oil, and it is to be eaten and enjoyed with your friends, with your family. I mean, imagine this. Also, and this is unspoken here, it's to be given at the temple. Now, in Leviticus, it was given at the tabernacle, but later when these rules were applied, people might live in Galilee and might have a two or three day journey just to get to Jerusalem. So it was a big deal. Just like this week, I'm going to travel and some of you are going to travel or you're going to have people come and travel to you. You loaded up the family on the cart or, or on your feet or whatever, and you would walk and it would be a big deal. And so when you got there, it was a celebration to be enjoyed together. Incidentally, it also says, and this is in verse 15, that it shall all be eaten on the day that it is offered. Which says to me a couple of things. First of all, you're going to have to eat probably more than you normally would eat, right? This is, this is God-sanctioned indulgence mm -hmm. is what this is. Now, in a world where you didn't eat meat every day, you know, you fast more days than you would feast, which is exactly the opposite in our current culture, mm -hmm. which is why we have some of the health problems that we have, we haven't quite struck that balance very well. We think it's a day to feast every day. But in a day where you are fasting more days than you are feasting, and you probably only get to really have great barbecue a few times a year, this is the day to load up on it, right? Now, of course, there's other logistics involved. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have a deep freeze. You couldn't put it in a Tupperware, save it till tomorrow. It wasn't that kind of thing, but it was a day for you to indulge. Also, though, it's a remembrance that when they were wandering through the desert, God took care of them with the manna and the quail. Do you remember? And the rule about the manna was that you collect enough for that day. Not enough for tomorrow. If you do, it's going to spoil, except on the day before the Sabbath. And there's a whole theology in that, which could be a whole sermon or a whole book probably, about us living on what's enough, right? And not storehousing, which is exactly, incidentally, if you go back and read the very beginning of Exodus, what Pharaoh was doing on the backs of the Hebrew slaves. We'll get into that another day. So this is a day to indulge. But there's another thing that's kind of hidden in that, where it says that it should all be eaten on the day it was, it was offered and you should not leave any of it until morning is that that probably means you're going to have to share it. 
And right there is a whole other sermon as well that we don't have time to get into today. But imagine you travel with your whole family, right? If you had your whole immediate family, maybe even some extended family, that's not going to be enough to eat a cow, right? And so what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to give some to the priests. You might have to look around and see if there is anyone who probably didn't have a Thanksgiving dinner to go to and invite them to celebrate with you. You see where this is going, right? My mom's mother was notorious for this, and I used to hate her for it, and now I look back and wish that she was still there. There would always be someone I didn't know at her house for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? And as a little kid, I don't need that, like, because then they have kids that I don't know, and that's awkward, and really, I'm just there because I want to see my cousins, and I want to watch football, right? The Detroit Lions always used to play on Thanksgiving Day, and that's, that's all I really wanted to do, but now I have to make small talk with someone that I don't know, and I'm never going to see again. But the point is, when we get together to celebrate out of thankfulness for all the good that God has given What better way to do that than to invite someone else who doesn't have as much, right? If you're going to eat it all that day and not throw it away, then you're going to have to find someone to give it to. Again, a theology of not storehousing things for yourself, but sharing what you have in the moment that you have it. So the priests would go through these offerings every day, and they would collect the offerings from the people. You know, if you went to the temple to present an offering, you would bring your goat or your cow or your dove or whatever you brought. And if I had to guess, you probably pulled a ticket like when you're at the seafood market or something like that, and you would, you would have it, and they would kind of have this line of, of people who had their offerings to be given. And, and the priests have a lot of what Leviticus is, which makes it boring, is all the hows, right? How to, how to cut up a, uh, an animal, how to butcher it, where to put the blood, where to put the fat parts, where to put the, all those things. And they would start early in the morning and they would go until sunrise, I mean sunset, excuse me, and they would finish all of the offerings for that day and everyone would would either eat with their families or they would worship and offer prayers and, and however that would go. And at the end of the day, the high priest, when they had finished the offerings for the day, would stand up and stretch their arms out. And you know what they would say? They would say, it is finished. Yeah. And so today we're going to end, and I'm thankful that we do this every week in this service. We're going to end with communion as a way of remembering the peace offering that God offered to us as a way of us giving thanks for all that God has done for us today. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have been so good to us and we thank you for all the ways that you bless us and take care of us and go before us and make our path straight and care for us when we don't even see it and care for our children and our parents and our brothers and sisters and our friends. And this week we have an opportunity to think about that in a new way. And so as we get together this week, God, and we see family and friends and some who we love to death and some who get on our everlasting last nerve, God, help us remember all the good that you have given us and be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.